Well, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel, for your comfort. Pray for wisdom as we are looking to the scriptures together. Pray for Pastor Eric as he prepares to teach and preach from Matthew this morning. Pray that you would give us ears to listen and hear and understand what you've said. And thank you for the comfort that we have through the forgiveness of sins and the fellowship we have of one another in you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's so good to be back and teaching the Word of God. There's nothing better. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Today, um, to have your Bibles on the ready, I have lots of verses, and not every one of them do I have written in my notes here. We're going to do a review of Apollos, who was welcomed and used by God in Corinth. Let's read the text. I'm reading from the Lexham English Bible, Acts 18, 27, 28. And when he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was assisted, he assisted greatly those who had believed through grace, for he was vigorously refuting the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. I don't remember, it was some time ago when we covered these two verses, or at least introduced them. So let's lay out some of the key issues here. So this is about Apollos. And one of the things that I've wondered about as long as I've been a Christian is what's the difference between these disciples of John the Baptist that we'll run into in chapter 19 and Apollos, and I think that we'll see the answer. I didn't understand it. And frankly, just be aware of this. Whatever verses are sometimes hard to understand or difficult or not so sure, the cults and false teachers will lamb onto them and create a whole denomination, a whole movement, whether if you're not baptized in the name of Jesus only, then you're damned. If you're the higher order Christians, I'll be dealing with that next week in 1 Corinthians 2, 13, 14. Anything you can think of. Baptismal regeneration, second blessing, sacerdotal. There's just everything. So here's what we need to do. Study, understand the text, Remind ourselves every time we read the author, Luke, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The only meaning we need to find is his. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. If we believe and understand the scriptures according to the intent of the Holy Spirit inspired author, Luther was right when he said this, the Holy Spirit comes to us through the word. God sanctifies us through the word. So it's better to say, I don't understand, than to say, oh, everybody else has always got it wrong. So therefore, there's two gospels. There's one for the Jews, one for the Gentiles. That's false. Therefore, there's two classes of Christians, the spiritual ones and the carnal ones. That's false. Therefore, there's, 
you have to be baptized in a certain formula or you're not saved. That's false. Luke didn't teach any of that. And he was literally a traveling companion of Paul at parts. He got it right from the source, an apostle who was appointed by Christ. So what we want to do is to take Luke Acts for what it is, two-volume work by the same author. We want to continue to see that what happens is that themes that are introduced in the beginning of Luke find their fulfillment and continuation in Acts. I'll refer to that over and over as we go through Luke Acts. Reviews, previews, authorial intent. So the claim that I'm making here is that Apollos needed to learn things. We covered that. But he's in a different category than these others that we run into in Ephesus who are disciples of John the Baptist but didn't even know if there was a Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because of themes. We'll see those. So let's read this again. So he wanted to cross over to Achaia. Brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Let's look at that word welcome. Uh, encouraged is used only once here in the New Testament. If you've heard the word hapax, that means once and not again. In this case, it's just in the New Testament. One thing we do know, Luke had a very robust and articulate vocabulary and was well-versed in the Greek language, as was the author of Hebrews, really some of the better use of Greek that you're going to find. So he had a, a large vocabulary. vocabulary. Welcome, apodekomai, is used seven times in the New Testament, all in Luke Acts. So what's dekomai? Dekomai is a word I've talked about a lot. I think it's very important. So I did some more research on it. It'll come up in 1 Corinthians as well and elsewhere, especially Luke Acts, though. Here's the key. Welcome is a, is a more warm and friendly term, honoring somebody. Remember the prodigal son? My father is honored that you've come to our home. That's how you do address someone. The older son was supposed to do that, but he wouldn't do it, so he was rebellious and dishonoring his father. So apodecomai is an intensive, and so you could uh, say warmly welcome as someone who we are so blessed to have come to us. Sometimes there's other words used that aren't as strong. Why is that important? I looked up every prefix, intensive, verb form, noun form throughout the New Testament. One of the key verses is in Thessalonians. It says, those who do not welcome the love of the truth are the ones who are deceived. So the truth comes to us through Christ and his apostles. And if you don't even want to know what the truth is because you prefer what you already believe, You'll be deceived by anybody and everybody. The truth, the definite article with uh, the word truth, is found in Christ and his apostles. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You know what Emergent said about that? Uh, No, here's what they said. I debated this, Doug Padgett. (laughs) 
the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. See, his take was, Jesus said, I'm the truth, so therefore, truth is personal. Jesus is a person. He said he was the truth, so truth is personal. So therefore, as long as we are warm and friendly and everything's good and there are no categories, there's nothing unique about Christ. But see, that's what happens when you don't care what the author is saying. Anyone who would go through John would realize, no, this isn't just any claim. Claiming to be the way, the truth, and life isn't saying, well, truth is personal. I got my truth, you got yours. But so that's how this is twisted. If anything is important, it's that what did John mean when he wrote John 14, 1 through 6? What does Luke mean when he writes Luke Acts? What does Paul mean when he writes 1 Corinthians 2, 13 next week, one of the more difficult verses? If we can understand that, we'll know what God said, and it'll change us if we believe it. If we want to put our own ideas in there, we can end up anywhere. So that's why we do all this study. Apodecami, seven times in the New Testament, all in Lukeacts, but it's decami is more common. Intensely, intensify decami. And then vigorous, vigorously here, notice he arrived, he assisted greatly those who had believed through grace. Notice that, believed through grace. So here, again, Christians welcoming the truth, saved by grace, and so on, believe the gospel. Here is a, a solid person, Apollos, for he was vigorously refuting the Jews in public. Now here, that is, that's not anti-Semitic. In Luke's use, the, this generation or the Jews or whatever is talking about those who refused to believe in Christ. Paul started in the synagogue. Some welcomed him. Come back. We want to hear more. And so the church really is modeled more after the synagogue in the New Testament, gathering in small groups, even if you don't have a building. Remember Philippi, Lydia? Anywhere they could meet, they'd gather, and God would bring disciples, people who welcomed the truth. But he was refuting those who were contradicting the gospel like Saul of Tarsus did himself. Refuting. Let me tell you about that word. That's pretty amazing. Refuting is a word which means, and I'm going to quote from one of my dictionaries here, it has several intensive dia, and then a word, kataleko, to dispute against, to convict, to overcome thoroughly in disputation to overcome thoroughly in disputation. If we know that something is true, it was taught by God clearly. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden and think about that. Did Adam and Eve understand what God said? Of all the trees you may freely eat, but of this one tree you may not eat. How did the serpent entice Eve to eat? You can be like God. You can be like God. And what did she see about it? 
good to eat, delight to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. God's holding out on you. You could know things, but you don't know them now. And it's very amazing that if you go through the Bible, those three things are the temptations that Israel faced in the wilderness and failed. Satan tried the same three with Jesus. He succeeded where Israel failed. So Adam and Eve fell, listening to the same thing. Uh, Israel failed. Jesus succeeded. He, He wouldn't go. The virgin born son of God wouldn't listen. But what did First John say? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life. It's not complicated. Those are the things that always come our way from the tempter. Okay? You're going to gain something. The only thing you're going to lose is eternal life. And uh, don't worry about that. You're, in the meantime, you're going to really be happy. Do you get that? Okay, so why am I saying that? I, I believe in conversation, but I see the English language changing. For Christians, redemption and forgiveness of sins is taught. We can discuss or converse all we want, but it won't change. Okay? So if someone says, like the emergent, Truth is personal because Jesus said, I am the truth. He's a person. Therefore, truth is personal. I don't converse about that. I refute it. And it's hard to refute jello or in the old days, they used to say it's like, remember, anybody old enough remember mercury thermometers? Bad idea because it's poisonous, but we didn't know that. Somebody said, it's like trying to grab quicksilver. Quicksilver is mercury. So one of those thermometers broke. It would roll around on the table. You ever, and it, you couldn't get it. It would just turn into smaller little balls and run around. And, so that's how you debate emergent. There's uh, and so here's what we need to know: the gospel is about Jesus Christ, his claims, his deity, his preexistence, his virgin birth, his uh, sinless life, his promises, his substitutionary death. His prediction of his own resurrection, his ascent into heaven before witnesses, the pouring out of the Spirit, we can discuss in the sense of helping each other understand better. But when Satan wants a conversation, it's not going somewhere well. It's not going well. You can't, well, let's have a conversation whether Jesus Christ really died for sins. No, we preach it. So these people were saying, we don't think that's the Messiah because he didn't defeat our enemies. Well, that's the second coming. So look at what Apollos is doing. Vigorously refuting those who rejected the claims of the Old Testament that Jesus would suffer and die and so on. Public is an adverb used four times in the New Testament. All in Acts. If someone could do this, I don't have all these verses in here. Acts 20.20 uses it again. And let me tell you about Acts 20. That is going to be a key place. In Acts 20, we have Paul in Ephesus. And from here on out, 
very, very important material because we need to define the church and her mission. Today, even the doctrine of the church is compromised by Christendom. Okay? So what is the church? What's our message? What makes us the church? What's the foundation of the church? And what does it mean to build upon it? How does someone enter the church? That all has to be determined. Paul's address to the Ephesian elders is important. Go ahead if you have it. Who has Acts 20.20? How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed to you, claimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house. Yeah, so Paul had uh, demonstrated publicly, in public, the truth of the gospel. He went to Athens, did he not? He went into the most famous place of public debate in the ancient world, Mars Hill, and publicly debated the smartest people in their world. And some people say he's changed his message. We've already covered that. He didn't. He preached Christ. And some people believed. The reason the the arena of public debate is important is that when I have debated cultists or sectarian versions of Christianity, for example, some say if you're not baptized in our group by the name of Jesus only, you're damned. Some say they teach this mortal monarchialism, which would, would be the Jesus only Pentecostals. Sometimes God is the Father, then he be then in other mode he's the Son, and other mode he's the Trinity. That's false. But they won't listen to anybody but their own teachers. And they never can be corrected because, well, are you one of us? No, okay, so I'll just listen to whoever is the high leader of modial monarchialism in our day, Apostolic Church down on uh, here in St. Paul, Jesus only Pentecostals. But the true gospel will not wilt in the arena of public debate. And so if we're here for the forgiveness of sins and that that forgiveness is only through Jesus Christ and his shed blood and it's thematic in Luke Acts, then there's no danger in going public with preaching Christ and the gospel. Yes. Thank you. I think it's important at, at, at this juncture to, to say we, it, we can't be embarrassed by knowing what we know. we got to know the truth, truth. we got to know the essence of the gospel. we got to know doctrine. And to yeah. get into debate, not, I'm not saying you. I think it's good that you debated pageant and all these guys. That's good for you. But I think, and I think Barb said this. She was in a conversation, and she says, I'm no longer willing to continue in, in this conversation. I think it's good at some point to say, I'm not willing. I know what I know. I'm not going to convince you. So, you know, I, sometimes I think it's, it's almost good to just kind of cut it off. Okay, there's a difference between a conversation about whether or not God has spoken or a conversation that we'd have about how, whether we should keep blowing our own snow when you're just out of the hospital. Somebody came out and said, you've got to stop, get a snow plow. There's things that we have to converse, but when it comes to the essentials of the doctrines 
revealed in the Bible, we need to teach them. And that's what Apollos did. He refuted. And the thing that I see happening, and I've lost a lot of friends in the last 20 years over this, is that I consider Christendom in whatever, denominations, groups, movements, whatever, a mission field. I went and preached the gospel to Rick Warren because that's a mission field. Preached the gospel to Baptists, that's a mission field. Preached the gospel to Methodists, that's a mission field. Preached the gospel to Catholics, not that I would ever want to be in that whole system, but explain the gospel like uh, Mike Gendron. Catholicism is a mission field. Christendom's a mission field. There's no one group you can join and say, well, I agree with everything you say no matter what. Uh, No, the group is a mission field. Why? Because there are no grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so on from God, only those born of the Spirit. Are we agreed on that? I will take my stand on that. And there are whole groups that are supposedly going to save the whole world, but they won't preach Christ. They won't preach Christ. Preach Christ. Well, we do that. We tell people that they're going to have purpose. Well, you don't need Christ to have purpose, but what do you have on forgiveness of sins? Well, that offends people. We can't talk about that. Let me ask each of us a question. What's the greatest gift that we could ever receive? Forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life, and the resurrection from the dead. What did Paul preach at Mars Hill? The brilliant Greek philosophers. He stood on the ground of the resurrection of the dead, and they mocked him. So did he go home and get his uh, political operative and say, well, that's not working. Let's try this message. Why don't we try selling them on your best life now? They'll buy that. But we can't. We, and so this, here's, here, let me do it this way. Look at this. Does Luke portray Apollos positively as someone we should admire who God is using? Or is Apollos off base? What is Luke telling us about Apollos? Apollos is teachable. He learned the way of the Lord. And when we get to 1 Corinthians, by the way, these are all, Luke was an eyewitness because he traveled with Paul. Apollos was there. And Peter, these are the people that uh, some false teachers in Corinth are saying, I'm Apollos, I'm of Peter. I'm of Paul. I'm of Christ, as if Christ were divided. The message of the Christian church that is built on the foundation of Christ and his apostles will bring hope and joy to everyone who knows him. And those who are smitten to the heart, convicted, and like they did on the day of Pentecost, will learn and will welcome correction. If I didn't ever get corrected, I would be stuck in some really bad place or dead or lost. Those who believe through grace, he vigorously refuted the one. Now, not just anti-Semitism. That's not what this is. Those who rejected Christ. Demonstrating 
through the scriptures, in public, that the Christ was Jesus. I, I preserved the word order there by using this translation. Why? What is unique about the term Christ? What does Christos mean? What is it based on? Anointed. That's right, anointed. Now, who is the uniquely anointed one? The Christ. Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, the one born out of promise of a virgin, is unique. There's only one anointed one, that's Christ. Now, why would they not believe that? Because if you look at Luke X, look at Luke 4. He came, handed the roll of the scriptures, and he cited that from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. But he didn't say all of it. He just said the part of being rejected. The conquering comes later, the defeating all the enemies. The reason they wouldn't believe that the Christ was Jesus was that what sort of anointed one is cursed by hanging on a tree, rejected by his own people, mocked by the Romans and does nothing about it, hangs there with all the power to call the angels, call down fire, destroy the enemies. Why would he put up with that? And did anything in our Old Testament, they didn't call it that, Tanakh, tell us that that's what's going to happen? How could the anointed one be dishonored in this honor-shame society? Shame, 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 shame. That's our Christ? And so Apollos, very Greek name, isn't it? says, and he's probably an Alexandrian, which was why he was so eloquent. That was the center of learning. He showed that the anointed one was this very one they were preaching. Now, here's something you have to remember. The anointed one, Ha Christos, is unique. But John said, you all have an anointing. If you know Christ... The Holy Spirit anoints you. You're not the Christ. No one's the Christ but Jesus himself. But we all have an anointing. That's what's important. Now, uh, i got to pick on Brian a little bit because I gave him an assignment. Remember the passage in Joel 3, 28? And uh, if you could look that up. Yeah, I, I have an idea that I haven't seen developed by too many um, expounders of Luke Acts, although I think it's seen. I believe that the entire layout of Luke Acts is leading to the fulfillment of the passage cited in Acts. You're, the old men, the young men, the, the, the women, the men, all of these people will be prophesying and God will pour out his spirit. I sprung that on, on 228. Excuse me. I, that's why I need help. <laughs> I looked at some of my old uh, sermon things from when I was in my 20s. They were on recipe cards. Go ahead and read it. Go ahead and read it. Okay. 
It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Yes. Now all through. uh, Keep it. Oh, the numerous times since we've been in Acts and we've gone back to the to this, you have uh, on numerous occasions is that we see this. Uh, we see uh, Joel two twenty eight actually happening throughout. Uh, Even Luke's in Luke, writings. okay, that's the thesis. I think is we can make that stand of just for authorial intent. It's leading to Acts, but it starts with who. Speaks for God early in Luke. Mary, Zacchaeus, was it? Simeon. And a lot of times there's duplets. There's a man and a woman. There's a parable about a man and a woman. Yeah, Anna. And it goes like that. And then I'm hot here all of a sudden. It's not for being in Florida. It was 80 when we got there. I would never rub it in, but I happen to notice <laughs> that when it was 80 there, it was 20 below here. And I remembered that I hadn't done anything about if the furnace started not running. So Brian drove by to make sure there was exhaust coming out of the smokestack. <laughs> I called Bob, I told him there's smoke coming out of your house. <laughs> but it's not on fire. So... And by the way, the ring doorbells all go dead when it's below zero. They, they just don't work. When it gets up above zero, they work again. And by the way, Tesla's... Well, never mind. <laughs> they lose 60% of their range or whatever it is. Tesla? Well, I can't afford one anyhow. But anyhow, it was 80 there, 20 below here. But now it's flip-flop. Here's the deal. All through Luke, there is a preview of the fulfillment of Joel. And the climax is on the day of Pentecost, but then there's a review as we go forward. Because this would be hard to believe. How could the Christ was Jesus, the anointed one? How could this be? How could people that we wouldn't expect, Zacharias, the Simeon, Anna, Mary. By the way, God is using all people now. Here's the thing. Gentiles, unexpected people, enemies of Christ like Saul of Tarsus. And this is what's going on. When the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, they speak the truth of God. And when it says the Holy Spirit came upon and then whoever it was that they speak, it's about Messianic salvation. That's how you know. So Apollos understood and had the Spirit. He needed to learn some. What we're going to see in Acts 19 they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So in Luke X, not even knowing there's a Holy Spirit, you're not even, you're totally outsider, even though you've been baptized by John the Baptist. You don't, you don't have what you need. And if the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples there, then 
they're in the same status as Apollos. But Apollos taught accurately about the person of Christ. So that's how we know, that's how we discern spirits. If they don't want to preach Christ, they don't want to talk about the uniqueness of Christ, they don't want to talk about the doctrine of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life, the resurrection from the dead, if all of that is ho-ho-hum, it's in the back of our hymnal, then that would give us evidence that they don't know Christ and are not born of the Spirit. Is that right? And if we give people a question, what is the hope? Be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. What answer do we give? Well, my IRA is up 150% or whatever. That's not the hope that we have. So, Brian, could you bring me that thing I gave you? I'm going to take it back at the moment. This is a great thing if you're computer literate as far as using the Bible. I ran a printout of every time the word forgiveness is found in Luke Acts. Luke 177. I'll just tell you some of these. And I can't, someone said this. You can look up who it was. I just have the verse, Luke 177. To give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Luke 177. Luke 3 3. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. I believe that was John the Baptist. That's going to be pertinent to Acts 19. Luke 24, 47. This is Jesus after the resurrection instructing the witnesses. Luke 24, 47. Their repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's the key to interpreting Luke Acts. Repentance for forgiveness of sins should be preached beginning in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, this is the first sermon in the book of Acts, repent, each of you, uh, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the sine qua non, the without which not, of this Latin. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, and your sins aren't forgiven, and you haven't trusted Christ, you're not a Christian. How many people, I saw something in the world news. How many people in the whole world are considered Christian? Does anybody have that data? Well, according to Christendom membership, I don't know, but there's billions, right? I keep getting it wrong. Somebody can look that up on Google. But the fact is, how many actual Christians? We don't know. And I believe that they're scattered throughout Christendom and that joining 
a certain denomination that's been around for a long time doesn't ensure that you really know Christ. Acts 5.31. Acts 5.31. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as Prince and Savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. I did not take, I just printed this and brought it here at the site. I didn't look at the context. Who preached in Acts? Was it still Peter, I think? You can look it up. Acts 10.43, I believe this was the God-fearer. So first the Jews, Jerusalem, and so on. Now we're going to God-fearers. Of him, all the prophets bear witness through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. You know what the word forgiveness is? Aphasis, release, release. Think about John chapter 8. There were believers that Jesus said, if you continue my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. And then he talked about freedom, release. And the people who believe said, well, we've never been in bondage. We have Abraham. Go ahead. Um, In Hebrews, it talks a lot about being released, and then you uh, enter into the rest. Yeah. There's no rest in works. There's only rest in Christ. There's also, so the dispute is, are you in bondage? And do you need forgiveness? And if you don't receive Christ by faith, turning to him alone, is that all you need? We're Abraham's children, they said. We don't need you. And just read John 8 and see where that all goes. He finally said, you're of the devil. You're of your father, the devil. That won a lot of followers. Acts 13, 38. Therefore, let it be known to you This is Paul, brethren, that through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. If your message doesn't include forgiveness of sins, you're offering nothing of eternal value. I say that with the authority of Scripture. I'm not conversing. I'm I'm, uh, explaining and preaching and announcing. There's no conversation about whether we need forgiveness of sins. We have it or we don't. Acts 26, 18. Paul before, uh, I think Agrippa II. Here's what Jesus told Paul he was going to do through Paul when he appeared to him. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. That's what Jesus told Paul to preach. Apollos is considered someone in that camp. All right? So remember all these... I have to believe in the inspiration of Scripture. There's no way over all the thousands of years that the Bible came to be what it is, that somebody could have made this up. Genesis, Exodus, just go on through the scripture, Jeremiah, Joel. And how did Luke get all this together so brilliantly and describe it like this? The inspiration of the Holy Spirit, real facts. 
I couldn't sell something I didn't believe in. Some people just could sell anything because they're good at selling. But I couldn't be on a debate team if I had to, somebody chooses which side I have to debate for. I would just say, nope, I'm out of here. I have to debate what I believe, not just win and be wrong. So that's what Apollos' gift was to publicly refute. Now, here is some geography. It's sad that people believe in religion that has no evidence of validity. So we have Antioch, Galatia, Phrygia, I think, ultimately to Ephesus. Ephesus is a key place throughout the Bible. So that's what happens. Acts 19.1. Acts 19.1. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the inland regions and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Now, he doesn't say much more about them. He finds disciples. Corinth, which I showed you maps of that, it's in the area of west of uh, Ephesus. They're key places. We're teaching through Corinthians right now. Ephesus is where we get a lot of the teachings, the book of Ephesians, but then you have Paul's address to the Ephesian elders that will be coming up. That's where we understand what the church is about. Revelation 2, 1 through 7, we won't go there, but that concerns the church in Ephesus. So John addressed Ephesus, Paul, there's the disciples. It's a very key place. In Acts 20, 17 through 36, Paul's message to the elders of the church of Ephesus, we'll get to that, should the Lord tarry. Yeah, for many years at this rate. But if the Lord comes, we won't need to learn anymore. He can teach us himself. Yes. Yeah, Timothy, yeah, absolutely. Timothy was in Ephesus when Paul wrote there. So it's just a key place, and it helps us define the church. Absolutely right. Good reading. Timothy was there. We have some of the best focused teaching about the nature and definition of the church in the book of Ephesians. And now at Corinth, as I'm teaching through Corinthians or preaching, Sometimes when I'm, it's my turn to preach, we'll see some of the errors that arise have to do with who's the good Christian and who's the bad Christian, who's spiritual and who's carnal. No, if you are carnal in the sense that Paul's talking about it, you're not a Christian at all. Whoops. <laughs> some people believe that there's various groups of Christians, the carnal ones and the united ones. Let's go to two and three. We're going to get, we've made progress. Disciples of John the Baptist, and I made this title, who had not heeded him. Why would they be disciples of John the Baptist, but they hadn't really listened to John the Baptist? Let me read this first. Back to the first one. It happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the inland regions, came to Ephesus, found some disciples. Now we're reading, we're thinking, well, it must be Christians. But look at 
And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why emphasize this so much? Because these verses have been used to teach the second blessing doctrine. That you have two types of Christians. The ordinary Christians and the spirit-filled Christians. <laughs> well, I got to admit, I was when I first became a Christian, that was the belief of the group I was in. And many people believe this. But so we have to be careful to get it right. And 1 Corinthians will really flesh this out. And if you saw how many hours and hours I spent on one verse this last few weeks, um, it's very difficult. Verse 13, but we got to get it right. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're not listening to the prophets and you're not listening to John the Baptist who said that that's what was going to happen through Messiah. So, and they said to him, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So we're going to go there. I'll turn in your Bibles and... Um, I'll read it to you, but Luke 3, 15 to 18. Eric's been preaching on that. I was able to tune in through um, the live stream. I, there was a worry that wasn't going to work, but in Florida, I was able to hear Eric's whole sermon. And I'm glad that I was able to do that because he's talking about some of these same things from Matthew. Luke 3, 15 to 18. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation... And all were wondering in their hearts about John, that is John the Baptist, whether he was the Christ. That's the key point. Is John the Baptist Messiah? No, he's taking one of the roles of Elijah. Okay, but that comes up in a different passage. John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water. But the one coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. In other words, he's lower than the servant. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winning fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. Euangelizo is the same word for preach the gospel, but this is a preview of the gospel that points to Christ. So if they really were disciples of John the Baptist who listened to him, they would have expected another. Maybe they never heard. There's a lot of speculation where they're this group or that group. Maybe they were who knows where they were? That's not what Luke is concerned about. He's concerned to show that Luke acts, his, his Holy Spirit-inspired teaching points to Christ as the anointed one who ascended to the right hand of God and poured out the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit and fire is in two different baptisms. I've heard that. Perfectionists teach that. I've heard that. 
Well, you have the Holy Spirit, but you, there's another higher anointing. You, can, you need the Holy Spirit, and now you need the fire. How do you get the fire? Well, you get a big group, and you shout, and you claim me claims that don't actually happen. I've cited some of that. No, the point is that this is the, i got to use that Latin phrase, sine qua non, without which not. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't know Christ. And the Holy Spirit is given by God's grace to those who welcome the love of the truth and that we do itself as a gift from God. Welcome the preachers of the gospel and believe. John the Baptist spoke of the Holy Spirit in the coming one. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how much water or where it was. I believe immersion, by the way, baptizo means to immerse. He will immerse you. So this is not an ordo salutis. Have you heard that phrase before? Norma talked. It's... um, R.C. Sproul has taught about that. Order of Salutis means order of salvation. It's not a chronological order. It's a logical. The fact is all these things, in what order they happen, isn't the key. It happens, and those who are believers, who do repent, who have turned to Christ, who do, are born of the Spirit, and are baptized according to the uh, instructions of Christ to his apostles, that's what Christians look like. Yes, please. All right. I'm a little confused. Okay. So the people that were baptized by John the Baptist and who did not have the Holy Spirit, you're saying that they were not saved until they were Go ahead. They, well, if they, if these disciples, they're not, they're in a different category than Apollos. Yeah. Because Apollos was preaching accurately mm-hmm. about the things concerning Christ. They didn't even know if there was such a thing. Right. Except for, see, because John the Baptist, they said that they didn't hear of the Holy Spirit, yet we just heard you read from Luke 3. They hadn't heeded him. That John said there will be one coming who will give you the Holy right. Spirit. So either they didn't hear that, missed it, or they weren't okay. paying attention, or well, they were somewhere else. Right. So when I did a lot of work okay. reading technical commentaries, I came to the conclusion it's not worth trying to figure out where they got whatever belief they had, why they were in Ephesus, and how they'd heard about John the Baptist, whether they were previously in Judea or the area wherever John the Baptist was, the area of the Jordan. We don't know. But what we do know is that this shows the need to believe accurately about the personal work of Christ be born of God, and so on. That's the point of right. Luke. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, it does. Setting that aside for a minute, in the Old Testament, we know that people were saved by faith, looking forward to Christ. So could that not maybe be 
the same thing in this instance? I think Luke's point is just consistently pointing to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the work of God that brings people to Christ. Let me make an analogy, and I don't claim that this is for sure. But when I first came to the Lord and I moved up here, some of the people that I've been friends with over decades were part of the charismatic renewal. Some have gone to be with the Lord. And there's an analogy, whether it's correct, somebody can, maybe nobody will know. But people whose funerals we've done, I'm thinking, you mentioned Lois Shirky, what a, 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 I knew her, she's one of the first ones that we knew that just loved to hear the word of God. And the Lutheran church that many of, uh, were part of at the time emphasized that you were saved at baptism, infant baptism. I'm not claiming every Lutheran believes that, but many did. And there wasn't a very robust doctrine of the Holy Spirit or even eschatology that that was taught. And so what happened was some people received the Holy Spirit. There's this charismatic renewal. And said, well, there. And so it seemed like a second blessing. If you spend your life, I'm, just, I'm not, I, I probably get if people hear this, I may get some emails. I don't know the heart. But if you had never heard there was the Holy Spirit, and people say, well, you need the Holy Spirit, and you believed you were saved through infant baptism, and you received the Spirit, then whatever the Pentecostals said, you have to speak in tongues, or you're, you haven't received the fullness uh, in that movement, that meant now I'm really, I got power I, and so on. But the desire to preach Christ and the gospel came alive to people that before just showed up at church. That may be an analogy. I'm not speaking for God. But these people found the Spirit. And those who loved the truth eventually just wanted to search the Scriptures. Yes, what does this say? What does this say? That's what we need to do. And I've been honored to know many charismatics through the decades whose one hunger was to learn the truth. I can't say that they were already Christian when they were, or not when they were in the big Lutheran denomination. So, let me let, read one thing here, and then we'll pick this up. Peterson's commentary says something I thought was very good. However, he says, before that, the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila to Apollos, Acts 18, 24 to 28, is recalled by the account of Paul's ministry to the 12 disciples in 19, 1 through 7. Apollos had received the baptism of John and had come to recognize Jesus as the one to whom John's testimony pointed. He needed only some further instruction to become truly effective witness to Jesus himself. However, the disciples whom Paul met in Ephesus, says Peterson, received John's baptism, but did not understand the purpose of John's mission. So they're in a different category than Apollos. 
They needed to grasp where Jesus fitted into the picture to be baptized in his name and to receive the promised Holy Spirit. So this isn't a second blessing. It's a conversion. Does that make sense? I don't know the heart. So there could be that many people were in various denominations and already knew the Lord, but hadn't been fed. And the charismatic movement filled in something like a policy. Others, perhaps that was their conversion. But here's what I'll warn you ahead of time where we're going as we study together in 1 Corinthians. There's no two-tiered Christianity. You are a saint or you ain't. (laughs) And those who know Christ are born of the Spirit and have various gifts. You can't prove to me that you're a better Christian than some other one because you have better gifts. That's the air that Corinth had had. So neither do I believe that if you're in a denomination and the creed is in the back of your Bible and you're baptized as an infant, therefore you're a Christian. And after that, anything that happens is a second blessing. I don't believe that either. I'm not the one that can say that was a conversion, but it could very well be like this one here. Because Luke is telling us, If you don't know Christ, you're not saved. They didn't understand it. Maybe they heard it second or third hand. I don't know. We don't need to speculate. Keep your finger in this. I believe next week I'm preaching on 1 Corinthians 2, 13, which is very, very difficult. I've spent so many hours on it, but I believe I can help. I believe I can help us understand it. And... I thank you. I'm so glad to be back. I love seeing the people of God. God bless you. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to look into these things which you would never know had you not revealed them. Thank you for showing us how you work through your spirit, how people turn to you by grace through faith and receive forgiveness of sins. And we pray for Eric that he would preach clearly to us so we can learn what you said to us in Matthew chapter 3. We thank you for everything you've done. We pray for all those who are hurting and suffering and many are sick and many um, are grieving. We're grieving the loss of our dear brother Jim and pray for Jerry and the whole family. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of us and giving us gift of forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you upstairs.